All right, guys, welcome to Property Profits Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bryce Kaminsky, filling in for Dave Dubow. And today on the show, I've got, I would say, a serial entrepreneur, but he's been in the business 10 years, definitely has hit the 10,000 hours. If you're watching on video, you could see his belts, his accomplishments, his trophies in the background. Uh, RJ Bates III, how are you today? Doing fantastic, man. Appreciate you having me on the show. Yeah, man. I love it when I when we got heavy hitters such as yourself. So let's start with, uh, you know, let's start with the belts. Tell us about the belts in the background. Yeah. So there's a, a closing competition called the Closers Olympics. It started mm-hmm. in 2020. Um, I've, I've been blessed to compete in all three of them. Um, the, the first year, 2020, I guess um, I kind of took the competition by storm. I got two verbal agreements in the first 30 minutes. No one had ever seen me talk to a seller live on, on video before. So everyone was like, holy cow, who's this guy? And uh, it was kind of funny because everyone was like, man, you're so aggressive on the phone. You're just so blunt and, and like raw and authentic. Um, and so there was a little bit of controversy that first year. I didn't win that one, but ever since then I've won. So uh, the, the one closest to me is the 2021 Closers Olympics. This one's 2023. I've won back-to-back. We didn't have one in 2022. And then uh, this one over here, Wholesaling Live, uh, we had a competition in front of about 500 people live. They gave us five leads to see who could close the deal the fastest, and I got a million-dollar contract locked up in 16 minutes. So I earned the nickname the King Closer. That's what people refer to me as. That's awesome. That's awesome, man. Congratulations. Closing, closing ain't easy, but it's worth it. So, you know, not everyone's going to start at the closing Olympics and closing million dollar deals in 16 minutes. And you certainly didn't start there. So tell us, where did you start? So me and my partner, Cassie, we were actual general contractors. Uh, We were getting hired by investors and I kept asking questions about how'd you find this deal? And everyone kept saying wholesale, you know, I got it from a wholesaler, you know, wholesaler sold it to me. So I started looking up information on wholesaling and realized, Hey, what I was doing as a general contractor is essentially what a wholesaler does. They're the middleman, you know, mm-hmm. as a contractor, you've got <clears throat> your client and then your subcontractors as a wholesaler, you've got your cash buyer and your motivated seller and you're the middleman. Yeah. So it resonated with me. And I was like, Hey, I don't have to go, you know, pick up a ton of sheetrock and yeah, you don't have to go to Home Depot and put a toilet in the back right. of the truck and deal well, with, just, oh, it's the wrong toilet. It's the right. Wrong. I'm I'm pushing paper. I'm like, this is awesome. So yeah. uh 20, 2014 is when we really started wholesaling and then we went full time January first, twenty fifteen. Awesome. Yeah, that was a good those were good years to really kick into wholesale too. It's like wide open spaces. It wasn't on every social media feed about how you can get started in wholesaling. So there was like a little bit more land to go around. Right. Um, so how many years were you full-time wholesaling before you started bringing other people in? Because at some point, I'm guessing you started building a team. Yeah, actually, we we moved to building a team pretty quickly because we had already had other businesses where we had employees. We had a little bit of, you know experience with managing people so actually january of 2015 we made our first hire um we we spent sixty five thousand dollars in education on how to learn how to do wholesaling um what we got taught was how to get deals off the mls and dispo them 
on Craigslist. I wouldn't say it was the best investment for $65,000, but it taught me enough to be dangerous. So what we hired initially was a property analyst, someone essentially to scour the MLS to find deals for us. We very quickly moved up to, to three of those. So that way those three people were finding all of the distressed the properties. And yeah. then me and my partner were reviewing them and putting in the offers. And so that was kind of pretty quickly built up in 2015. And we've, we pretty much had a, a solid amount of uh, people working underneath us since then. Yeah. That was like the number one thing when I was wholesaling was um, I just want to deal with the top of the, the, like, I just want to deal with the top, I guess they call it the cream of the crop. Right. You get the guy who sits there on the computer and just grinds the list and says, Hey, look at this. And you're like, okay. And then sets the meeting. Hey, go look at that. And you're like, okay, go see it. Instead of, you know, looking at the same stuff over and over again. So yeah, starting with the, uh, the analyzers. Yep. So you're doing that for a while until when did, when did you bring in uh, other closers or is it just you? So we, we did that for a couple of years, you know, just off the MLS until me and my partner, we went to a, a real estate event and mm-hmm. everyone when there was talking about what are you doing for direct to seller marketing? And I looked at her and I was like, I think we're doing things the wrong way. No one else yeah. is doing deals off the MLS. I did lots, man. I did lots. And people yeah. were like, how? And I'm like, because they're out there. Yeah, I mean, we were doing okay for ourselves. But that's when we started doing direct-to-seller marketing. Uh, about 2017, things yeah. really changed for us. Um, that's also, you know, we were heavily virtual at that point. All across the United States, we were doing deals and. You know, we're based out of Fort Worth, but we were doing deals in Phoenix, Portland, Oregon, Baltimore, yeah. Alabama, all over. Um, and that's also when we started taking down properties where we started actually doing flips and owning rentals and kind of expanded out of just wholesaling that 2017, 2018 range. Did you start self-funding or did you start raising capital right out the gate? So we had some money in hand, right? Yeah, we, we did, but I, I will be honest with you. We, I always wanted to use other people's money. So we were doing a, a lot of uh, JVing with other people that had money that, you know, hey, they didn't want to manage the crews or, you know, they just had money that they wanted to, to park somewhere. So mm-hmm. we were always doing that. That was really good at the beginning. I, I will have to admit, I abused it. I, uh, I bought way too many properties uh, because I had because I had the ability to, uh, yeah. you know, and it just I I call it my cookie monster years. I just started buying everything and I forgot about wholesaling. <laughs> it was just yeah, like I'm, well, a, I'm a Sesame Street kid, so that cookie monster is like, I'm, I'm, I'm like yeah, exactly. Deals. He's just yeah. eating every deal he sees. Exactly, that can so be we, dangerous. How'd you how'd you navigate that? Well. By the grace of God and and a lot of hard work, you know, there was a couple of years there where, you know, we we sold some some properties for significant losses, you know, wholesaling mm-hmm. a lot of properties to make up for those losses. Yeah. Uh, you know, I always tell people just because you're a good wholesaler doesn't mean you're necessarily going to translate to being a great flipper or a great landlord. Yeah. There's three different types of businesses. And so you have to sit down and make sure you have SOPs for each one of those businesses. And that's what we didn't do. We just thought, hey, because we're a great wholesaler, that means we're going to be great at flipping. And uh, and we we learned the hard way. I mean, we got our teeth kicked in. And mind you, 
we're former contractors. So it wasn't like the, the contracting side of thing was the problem. It was the management of the contractors, the management of the, the finances. It's like right? one it's yeah. It's, it's like a different skill set that you had to strap on. Cause essentially, you know, for me, I have the same trajectory. I'm kind of like a born wholesaler start there, start acquisitions. I started a little bit further back in the business where I was starting, like we would take stuff to the market buying for uh, my mentor, but eventually it just got into, okay, we're finding too much stuff, offload it, offload it. But it's a different skill set, you know, being able to find something and tie it up for a good price. That's great. But can yeah. you keep it profitable all the way yeah, to the exactly. end? Exactly. I mean, we got to the point where at one point in time we had $22 million in debt. I mean, it, that's a significant amount. Um, and looking back at it, it's like, I, I'm surprised like that 22 million deployed in the market. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah, some people get th that debt means, right. Hopefully it's not consumer debt. That's no, the no, 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 no. good debt, 22 million in good debt. Now, can you manage it and keep it good? I, I would say out of that, we were probably able to kind of give back about 21 million, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, about a million lost there. Um, and that's a kick in the teeth, you know, and, and it, I had to get some grace from some of those private lenders where it's like, Hey, can we go on a payment plan? Can I pay you over the course of time? Can I pay you out of the next project that closes yeah, can um, I pay you over 10 years? <laughs> right. You know, just, it was, it was stressful for sure. And that's where I said, Hey, let's go back to our hedgehog concept from like, you know, Jim Collins book, good to great. We're kind of, I what is, it. What is going to be your your core focus for your business? And it was virtual wholesale. And that's what we were really great at. And what got us in trouble is steering away from that. So in 2020, back basics. went back to basics, you know, COVID hit. It really was like the perfect time to solely focus on virtual wholesaling. Yeah. No, no one wanted you to go to their house anyways. Yeah, so send me like, pictures. Exactly. So we went back to that. Um, 2020 was the first time I did what I called the 50 deals in 50 states and 50 days challenge. I did it live on YouTube where every day I went live for eight hours. Just in 2020, it was all texting. So I was using batch leads, just texting away. And uh, I locked up 86 properties in those 50 days. Wow. And that was kind of the start of like changing the trajectory back to the positive and getting back to what we were good at. Yeah, because I, I even myself, I I had to pay back a, a loss on a flip, two years, two grand every two weeks or something. It was bad. It's like a fifty k loss, and that's yeah. nothing compared to your million. But you know, it, it happens out there. No one talks about it, and it does happen. And you just pay it back. You know, make more money, make more deals, go back to wholesaling. It sucks to pay things that you thought you're going to make money on, but that's the reality of this business. Is sometimes you got to go and eat your eat your crows well the reality of it is is it was the decisions that i made as the leader of the business i chose to buy all those properties yeah there was a turning point where i knew it wasn't going well um and and it again looking back at it what have i always been really good at finding good deals closing those good deals obviously you know with the belts behind me like we started mm -hmm. off the episode a couple uh, of axes too we got to touch on that <laughs> Yeah, we, we can talk about that. So, you know, 2020, we got back to the basics. 2021 um, is when we moved into our, our new office here on the lake and uh, just 
really started building the team back out with kind of the processes that I laid out for us during that 50 day challenge where it's like, Hey, this is how we're going to pull our list. This is how we're going to communicate via, via text. This is how we're going to close our deals. Went full virtual across all 50 States. And that's pretty much where we've been ever since. It's just virtual wholesaling across the country. Yeah. That's uh that's quite the story of success and failure, which is like a universal real estate story. Right. Let me ask you, this is from Robert Kiyosaki's book. He says, what's your unfair advantage? What do you, what comes easy to you that other people find difficult? Being real with sellers. Give me an example. I've never watched you close, but if a whole room of people are telling you, Hey, that was pretty rough. I mean, the people who you probably save a lot of time by not messing around. I do. Well, we'll use an example. I went live yesterday for two hours, talked to a seller. Seller said, are you a wholesaler? I said, I am. She said, okay, I appreciate you letting me know that. Does that end up leading to me getting the contract? We don't know. She has a contract in her email. She hasn't signed it yet. But people struggle answering sometimes with the truth. Yeah. And you got to lie for days and days and, oh, my partner this and my partner that and Right. When I started being authentic, that's really when it started. Like, because now they know what the game is. They know what's up. I said, I'm going to bring on my other buyers in here. We're going to look at it. So being authentic. Just being authentic, being real with a seller about, hey, this is why I need to get it at 90000 instead of 100000 Yeah, I have intentions of wholesaling this and assigning the contract. Um, you know, hey, this is why we need to get a price drop. Not because my finance department came back and told me that we need to come back. It's no, we, you didn't tell me the roof needed to be replaced and the roof needs to be replaced. We need mm -hmm. to drop the price by $10,000. You know, I think that right there is probably what the majority of people that have seen me talk to sellers and close would say, man, that is different than what most other people do. So that would probably be my unfair advantage. You're not, you're not afraid to like tell it how it is. Exactly. Now with your acquisition strategy back when you were building, like, do you still have that portfolio or did you have to liquidate it? Yeah, we pretty much liquidated things? everything. Um, I, I will say some of it was strategic because we're here in Texas. The appreciation was so much that our property taxes actually forced us to have to sell because they weren't cash flowing anymore. Yeah. So what we initially purchased that, I mean, the property taxes ended up costing more than any mortgage or insurance would cost us. So it, was, it can and, go quick. It can go and real you're quick. staring at, you know, $200,000 worth of equity or $150,000 worth of equity. It's like, all right, let's cash that in and let's, let's move on with our business. So we've liquidated most everything. And now we're kind of at the point where we're acquiring so many properties I'm kind of waiting to see what's going to happen with the interest rates here. What's going to happen to this market. I feel like there's probably going to be a little bit of a dip in some values here at some point in time. There has to be. Um, and that would be when we kind of re-enter on acquiring more properties. Yeah. I think you've been in the business long enough. You know, it's a seven year cycle and you probably got to, you know, we, I, I kind of started at the same time, 2015, March of 2015. And, um, you know, things weren't super great to start, but then it kind of took off as, as they kind of manipulated the the interest rates. And, yep. you know, it was a great period. I wish I would have bought everything 
2015. <laughs> right. And that's the story, right? Like never will you be able to buy these houses at this price again. So buy something, just buy something, even if it's just one thing. So are you uh raise the money first and find the deal or do you just, you know, find the deal? I mean, this is kind of a, you're a wholesaler. So you're finding deals all day, but do you raise capital and sit it or do you raise it for the deal? I raise it for the deal. And I always did that. And, and there was times where we knew that money existed, right? So it wasn't like, oh my God, we just locked up a deal and we need, you know, $200,000. What are we going to do? We were mm -hmm. doing deals in places like Hawaii and Alaska where some of the purchase prices were $700,000, $1.1 million. I mean, mm -hmm. even with using a hard money loan and just using private for like the gap funds, I mean, it was a significant amount of money that we needed to raise, but we knew where the money could come from. Like, mm -hmm. hey, it's going to come from a pool of like these three or four or five investors, but it was always raising the capital after the property was under contract, presenting the, the opportunity to them and letting them decide if they want to be a part of it or not. Yeah. Some people do the, the fund approach, but I always find it easier when the deal speaks for itself. Yeah, exactly. So we, you touched a little bit on your strategy moving forward. Where do you think things are going? Having been in the market now almost 10 years, specifically in real estate, where do you see this thing going? Because they've they've adjusted rates and and yeah. stuff like that. Maybe not as historic as they've kind of done it these days, but where do you see it going and how are you preparing for that? I think wholesalers are going to have to learn the language of creative finance a lot more. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're you're going to have to a lot more than, say, three or four years ago. Um, you're going to have to understand, hey, this is how you're going to have to log something up on seller finance. You're going to have to navigate the conversation of sub two. And then mm -hmm. it's wholesaling in general with the regulations that are coming down it's probably going to be more than likely you're going to have to have some sort of license in the future. Um, Possibly, and, then, yeah. and, then, and then also um, as buyers potentially dry up and maybe go back into their turtle shells because they can't burr anymore or they're mm -hmm. too afraid to flip, you might have to even start doing your own novations. So there's just a lot of different creative strategies that even if you are just wholesaling, you're going to have to learn the conversation, the, mm -hmm. the strategy itself, when to, when to utilize that, right? I always say, hey, exit strategy first. Exit strategy determines your acquisition strategy. Mm -hmm. I, I think that is the direction that we're headed. I think as of right now where we're sitting, we're okay. Everybody can still function as we are kind of the interest rates have become the new norm. Um, but if it continues to rise, we saw what happened last November and December, 2022, the world just stopped. Yeah. No they one was no buying. One to buy nothing. Right. So we know that that can happen at any point in time. How are you going to react when that happens again? I think that's where the possibility of needing to do innovation has to come in. Even if you're just a wholesaler. Yeah. It's really like, cause what we're talking about is the bank's participation in the marketplace. Yep. And traditionally that's been the majority of the lending, but like you, like you touched on the creative finance, we're, we're almost like, and the, the banks might be shooting themselves in the foot. If we all get, if we all get wise to how we can finance without them, there might, the banks might be, uh, well, it's an easy loan to get. You walk in, they set it up. 
but with the internet and things like this, like what if they get so hard with the interest rates that people just stop going to the banks? They start, right. everyone starts creative finance. Cause in the eighties, my mentor back, he said people would RTO everything. He would buy the house, the car, the cottage. He'd pay the whole mortgage because people were upside down. You know, Canada was 18% interest rate. So he would rent to own their whole life. He'd buy think, everything and rent to own it all back to them. But think about this. There are so many mortgages that were created just a couple of years ago at 2.75, 3%. That becomes almost more valuable than the property itself. Like, yeah. what? how much money do I have to get you? give you for that interest property rate. sub two for that interest rate of 2.75. Well, apparently people crazy. are figuring out, and this might be something to look into buying the mortgage and transferring it to another property. I haven't figured that out yet, but I'm hearing rumbles of, of the way that lawyers are able to put it together and say, I'll buy your mortgage out. You know, I'll give you 150 K I'll buy your mortgage note and transfer it to a new property and transfer that existing mortgage, that existing bank to a new property. I have not heard that one. That one's that's interesting. I'm, yeah, I'm curious I don't know. to see if that takes off. It, it, well, essentially it's just debt. Like the bank is just another lender. So, I mean, they want security on a property and I'm sure, I'm sure if the property like qualifies for their security requirements inside the mortgage documents, there shouldn't be anything stopping you from like transferring the note. That's crazy. I, right, like we got to get creative, and you nailed it. Yeah, like, well, that's creative. super creative. Get a T-shirt, get creative, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> yeah, RTO. Like right when the mortgage rates changed, we we started training on RTO. All the guys who are doing wholesaling because we run them, we run this all of us together in the city. We you know network, and I said we got to learn RTO because that's going to be the exit because we can't afford to like we can't afford to. We can't give them a good enough offer to get them to open up and and actually give us the house in a way that we can move it. So what do we do? We actually sell more paper. The stack gets bigger. The offer and the RTO paperwork and the commitment of the lease from the new buyer. And so the paperwork gets thicker, but it's still like a five or 10K assignment. Right. Because you got to do more paper now. <laughs> there you go. So, um, you know, if people want to get a hold of you, they want to, you know, pick your brain or maybe invest in some of the stuff you got coming up. How do they reach you? What should they do? Yeah, the, the best place to, to consume more of my content information, places that you can reach out is YouTube. My YouTube channel, RJ Bates the Third. Go on there. I've got a little bit over a thousand videos, I think, at this point. You know, majority of them are live calls. I, I probably have more live seller calls than any other YouTube channel out there. And I've had my podcast, the the Titanium Vault since 2017. So I've got a lot of great podcasts on there too. So just reach out there, um, you know, comment on one of the videos. If you need something from me, I, I respond on to all of them myself. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm sure there's tons of value. Watch the live calls, guys. You're never going to learn more than watching someone else close. So um, yeah, really appreciate your time. And until next time, guys, we'll catch you on the next episode.